Well, welcome everybody. It is so good to be able to worship at Encounter Church together wherever you might be. My name is Dirk. I'm the lead pastor here at Encounter Church. And we're in part three of a series called Bud. God. And those are two incredibly powerful words in the English language. They're powerful words as they're used something like 45 times in the Bible, the story of God. They're used in times when God interrupts and intervenes uh, in our setbacks and makes sure that the future is nothing like the past. We kicked this series off on Easter weekend and we read from Acts chapter 13, Jesus died But God raised him from the dead. And then last week, we heard that very, very relatable story from a king in Daniel chapter 2. The king who who really wanted to look into a crystal ball and to know what was in the future. Wouldn't we all know what was in our future, your future? And we said, listen, the future is uncertain, but God promises to meet you there. Now, this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, how God jumps and how God breaks into our failures, or maybe how God breaks into when somebody failed you. And I just want to paint like a hypothetical scenario for you. Imagine you went to, uh, to a stylist and you got maybe one of the worst haircuts you have ever received in your entire life. Now imagine that you received that haircut and then you had to live with the stylist, which is what I know many of you are doing right now in the stay-at-home order. It's like you just have to see that person every single day and you hold that bitterness, you hold that resentment against them for failing you. And we're talking about what do you do with those feelings? It's kind of another thing that's happening right now in these quarantine times when you're staying at home and then you have all of this pent up frustration or, or, or anger about not being able to go to work or maybe the work that you have is entirely different now. And, and it's just, it's frustrating. And then what do we do with all that stress and anxiety is that we take it and we put it on those closest by us, which sometimes is maybe a spouse, a partner, uh, kids, or maybe a roommate. Maybe it just, it spills out over a Zoom call and you say something things that you really wish you could take back, but that's not how, how words go. You can't, you can't shove them back in once they're out. And then you just failed somebody or somebody failed you and you were on the receiving end of that. And what we're talking about today is what do you do with that? Because listen, it will come out one way or another. There's this, like, uh, this old story that goes, uh, one time a man was, was dying and he was on his deathbed and he knew his time was getting short. And so he calls his wife to come over uh, to his bedside and he looks at her, you know, and he says, honey, uh, he says, I, I got to confess a couple things with you in these last moments. She says, uh, honey, I know I, I haven't been as faithful to you as I could have been. And he shared a couple stories that, uh, that, that highlighted some of how that was true. And, and she looks back at him with those big tear-soaked eyes. And she says, I know. And that's why I poisoned you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bleak story, right? That, uh, but it's like, what do we do when somebody fails us? It's going to come out one way or another. And so what do we do this morning is we try to find out how it comes out in maybe a healthier way than poisoning the people that you live with. Some of you in these times, uh, some of you have, have gotten to the place of asking like the big questions of the big questions of eternity of what happens in that moment when I go and, I'm, and I meet my maker, as they say. I go before God and I'm going to have to give an account or I go before him. I'm going to have to explain things away to him. I'm just like, oh man, I know all the times that I've failed God, right? When I said, God, if you just show up here, if you, you know, ever say yes to going on a date with me or if I get the job, listen, God, I'll hand everything over to you. It's all yours. And there you go. Take it. 
And then God showed up. He actually did the thing you were asking him to do, but you didn't follow through. I didn't follow through always on what I promised to God. I failed God. And how does, how does he respond when we fail him? And so that's what we're talking about this morning is what do we do with this failure to other people, to ourselves, and even with God himself? And to do that, I'd like to share a story with you from an Old Testament book of Nehemiah chapter 9. I'll kind of set it up a little bit if you'd like to flip over to Nehemiah chapter 9. The story kind of takes place in the time of, uh, of just coming back from exile. Last week, remember, we had Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Those three guys in Daniel chapter 2, they were in exile in Babylon. Well, one of the things they prayed for is, God, would you let us come back home? Oh, man, if only you would let us go back to our land. And God actually made good on that request. And he said, yes. I mean, it's a few years, 70 years, actually. But God said, yeah, you can go ahead and go back home through the Persian, new Persian king that replaced the Babylonians. And the king said, go ahead, go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the city. And so they get there and they see it's nothing but rubble. And so they start to set work on rebuilding the city, but also rebuilding their hearts at the same time. Listen to the story. Let's kick it off from Nehemiah chapter 9, just in verse 1. It says that on the 24th day, the same month, the Israelites gathered together. And so we see like it's the 24th month of the 24th day of the same month. Well, what was going on that month? They had just finished building the like fortification structure around their city. That's what they started with because they knew if they built anything in this city, somebody would just come along and take it. So they needed to put up these walls, these fortifications around the city. They had just finished building that when they realized, you know what I think is going to happen? If we don't change our hearts, if we don't change our posture towards God, it doesn't matter how big our fortifications are, we're going to end up in the exact same place as we did 70 years previous. We're going to end up in exile. So listen, if the future is going to be different than the past, we have to change. And so this is what they do, not only to look at their city fortification structure, but also now they take a look at their hearts as well. Continuing on in that same verse, it says, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from the foreigners. So they called in some extra, some help, had separated themselves from the foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And they stood there. They stood where they were and they read from the book of the laws, first five books of the Old Testament, a book of the law, Lord their God, for a quarter of the day they read the Bible and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Like, just break that down for you. Just, like, imagine that. They spent a quarter of the day, so, like, I don't know, three, four hours reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. They spent three, four hours reading Leviticus. And then after they were done reading, they shifted gears and did something entirely uh, fun and engaging, confession and admitting their sins before each other and before God. And they did this for like three, four more hours. This is like half the day they spent reading the law and then confessing their sins. And the, what follows after that, we're not going to read the whole thing. You're welcome. What follows after that is the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. I counted the words. It's 1,177 words. Can you believe that? 
It's incredibly long, and they just like have to, have to recount all of these ways that they failed God. And what they do is start from the beginning. And they go, God, this is, here's the deal. God, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You made the universe. <laughs> and God, you, you called Abraham out of nothing and made him something and created our people. And then, God, we were in slavery in Egypt and these 10 plagues, right? The frogs, the hail, the locusts. You brought us out. And then, God, when there, was a, when there was an army behind us and there was a sea in front of us, you split the Red Sea and, and we walked through on dry land. God, you did all of this time and time again. And how did we repay you? With nothing but disrespect and disobedience. And so, God, we're sorry. And so they confess all of this, all of the ways that they have failed. And it takes them half the day. And they just start to go through from the very, very beginning and to recount all these different ways. Listen to this in verse 16, skipping down. It says, but they, our ancestors, God, after you've done all of these things, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commandments. They refused to listen, and they failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, appointed a leader to return to their slavery. It's like they said, God, we don't even care everything that you've done for us. I mean, we're just, we'd rather be back in slavery. This is how they repay God with nothing but disobedience and disrespect. And this is where we jump ourselves into the story because listen, guys, <laughs> this is not anything new. Like the different ways that you've failed somebody else or the different ways that you've failed God. Like this is just like the world that we live in. This is almost the air that we breathe. And so we're just like a few takeaways this morning. And the first one is just simply this, is that the problem is failure. Failure is the problem. It's just all around us. We fail each other. We fail ourselves. We fail God. I heard a story a while ago, and maybe you've heard the fable as well. It goes something like this. It's the story of the frog and the scorpion. And the scorpion comes over to the frog and says, hey, Mr. Frog, can you give me a ride across the river? Now, the frog, of course, comes back to the scorpion and says, no, absolutely not. You're a scorpion and I'm a frog. There's no way I'm going to give you a ride across the river. You're going to sting me. And the scorpion says, Mr. Frog, why would I sting you? That doesn't make any sense. If I stung you, then you'd drown. I'd drown. We'd both die. I'm not going to sting you. Give me a ride across the river, would you? And the frog thinks about it and says, ah, it seems to make sense to me. All right, jump on my back. Let's go across the river. And the frog starts to swim the scorpion over to the other side of the river, scorpion riding on his back. And as they're at the midpoint of the river, what should happen? But the scorpion brings up his stinger in the air and jabs it right into the back of the neck of the frog that he's on. And as the venom starts to course through the frog's body and his hands and webbed feet start to, start to seize up and paralyze, he has just enough energy to look back over at the scorpion and say, Mr. Scorpion, why did you do that? Now we're both going to drown. It doesn't make any sense. And the scorpion says back to the frog before they both go into the water, of course it doesn't make any sense. But Mr. Frog, it's in my nature. I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. And that's where we jump into it, right? Because that's just so much of us. 
Why do you do what you do? So many different times you failed yourself, you failed your family or your work, you failed God. So many different times that we just, we sin and we fail everybody around us. Why? So many times we look back and say, it doesn't make any sense at all. No, if we are thinking logically, we wouldn't have done it in the first place. It's just, it's in our nature. Uh, Romans 3, 23, New Testament writer, Paul, he's writing to this church that he's never met before in Rome. And he says, I don't know much about you, but I know this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I love that word for sin as he puts it in there, because the word is hamartia. And the word for sin is actually literally translated something like missing the mark. It brings up a picture of somebody who goes out and, uh, and maybe they're a hunter in Michigan, bow season, starting this fall, sometime, ever. And somebody who's skilled in this area grabs his bow, grabs 10 arrows, and goes out to the range and just starts practicing, pulls one back, right on target. Again, right on target, nine in a row. But something happens, maybe he gets bit by a mosquito or stung by a bee or something. He flinches over and he releases one and it just goes flying and he misses that last one. He, he missed the mark. And then compare that to somebody like me who's never hunted a day in his life. And I get out there to the range and I get my 10 arrows and I just, you know, totally miss the target on the first one and the second and the third and the fourth. I miss on the first nine, but at least on the 10th one, I, I hit the target. In fact, maybe I even get lucky enough to get a bullseye. But I still, I missed the mark nine times out of 10. And I'll tell you that first hunter, the expert, he also missed the mark. He's no less of a mark misser than I am. We've both missed and fallen short of the glory of God. Failure is the problem. It's in our nature. It's in the problem. It goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. But don't be discouraged there, church. If failure is the problem, God has a solution for you. Listen to this verse now. And we're just going to continue on reading in the passage. You see, I only read the first half of verse 17a. And I just want to continue it on and read verse 17b. But you are a forgiving God. But our God is a forgiving God. Amen. Gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, God, you did not desert them. God, you didn't desert them and you won't desert me now. Because even though we fail, God, you are a forgiving God. Why does he forgive? Well, the second point is that when we fail, that's the problem. But that when we fail, forgiveness is our provision. We fail, and that's a problem, but forgiveness is God's provision. It's the way that he's providing for us now. Why does he do it? Why does he provide for us? Why does he offer that forgiveness time and time again? Listen, I have to make sure that you know this. It's not because we deserve it or we're worthy of the forgiveness. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. The reason why we are forgiven time and time again isn't anything that we have done, but it's who God is. Is the human love, our love, is object-oriented which means that we love something because of its inherent value. You think about how you met your spouse, let's say. You looked over at them and there's something in them, uh, probably an attractiveness, a quality that they had that you admired. She's cute. He's cute. I'm going to go over there and talk to her, talk to him. And then you start talking to them and you find that you have a lot of things in common and that they're really interesting and engaging and you want to spend more time with them. And then you, and then you choose to love them. 
Chances are because there's some quality about them that's worthy, that's worth your love for them. It's object-oriented. Those of you who are into cars or whatever you're into, you can look over and see the car and you can say, it's bright, it's shiny, it's powerful, or it's reliable, like whatever your thing is. And it's worth your love because your love is an object-oriented love. But God's love is entirely different because God's love is a subject-oriented love. That God doesn't love you because of something that you have an attractiveness or quality of an interest or a conversation partner. He doesn't love you because of who you are or what you have. He loves you because of who he is as the subject. One of Jesus' early followers, John, is like, listen, I, don't, I lived with the guy for three years. I can describe God as this. Three simple words. God is Love. It's just who he is. It's in his nature. And so, of course, he's not going to desert them. Of course, he's not going to abandon you. Of course, he's not going to give up on you. Why? Because he's so incredibly compassionate. He is so incredibly loving. And listen, church, maybe that's not the, maybe that's not the vision that you've got or the message that you received about who God is from your church growing up. But I'm telling you, it's there in black, white, and red in the scripture. And it's just like God is telling you, no, no, this is how much I love you. I love you. As we say at Encounter, God loves us to death and back. Death on a cross and then rising from the grave on Easter Sunday. That's how much God loves. It's this unrelenting, never giving up, always and forever kind of love that is pursuing you. Not because you have something to offer or not because... You could ever lose that thing, but it's who God is. God is love. Failure is the problem. Forgiveness is God's provision. But listen, something happens. When our failure comes and collides with God's forgiveness, and this is the part of the message, honestly, that... uh, a lot of you have probably been tracking with me and go, man, yeah, I want to believe in, uh, in that God or I'm working on believing or I already, I believe in the God who forgives again and again and again because it's in his nature time and time again. This is the part of the message where I start to lose friends. I start to lose some of you because this is when it gets really, really difficult. Because we establish failure is a problem. It's in the water. It's in our nature. And a lot of you can, can testify to that firsthand and saying, listen, that's my, that's my deal. That's my problem. And a lot of you can testify to the fact that that forgiveness is God's provision. It's who he is. It's in his character. It's in his personhood. He is a forgiving God. But when our failure collides with God's forgiveness, something new happens. It demands a response. And so the last takeaway here is that forgiving is your purpose. And that is the challenging part. Because all of us, we love a God who is forgiving to us time and time again. But then when God turns it on us and says, now I want you to have the heart of me. Think about somebody who failed you, hurt you, brought you pain. And now your purpose is to forgive them just as I forgave you. Listen, it's, it's, it's mind-bending. It's boggling. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So there's this story in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 18 that honestly I didn't, I didn't get for a long, long time. That didn't stop me from preaching on it a number of times, but it just brings new insight every time. 
And so Matthew 18, it starts off, Peter, golden boy, follower of Jesus, a disciple. Peter looks at Jesus, you know, and he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody who, who fails me, who hurt me, who brought me pain? And he knows the answer, the world's answer is zero, goose egg, nothing, nada. Don't be the first person to throw a punch, but you make sure that you're the last. So he knows as a Jewish kid, he knows it's better than that. More is expected out of them. So he knows the right answer there is three. But he also knows he's been living with Jesus now and has seen God up close. So he's like, I don't think three is going to cut it. So Peter says to Jesus, do I have to forgive him seven times? (laughs) Jesus looks back at him and goes, no, no, no. Try 70 times seven. I don't know, just all of it. (laughs) Again and again, an infinite number of times. You can see the confused look on Peter's face. And so he unpacks it a little and he tells a story. And he says, there was one time there was this master. And Jesus is making up this story in order to drive home a point. He goes, one time there was this master and his servant, uh, he owed him a million zillion dollars, just an unspeakable amount of money. And uh, he goes before his master and the master looks at the bill and says, there's no way you're going to be able to repay this. And so he has the guy thrown into jail. He just gives the order and says, no, 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 I'm just cut my losses. He's never going to pay me back, but at least he can't rack up another bill. Put him in jail. And the guy says, no, 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 please, master, please, 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 just give me a little more time. Listen, the guy's got a good job. He's like an electrician, maybe a nurse, but... Uh, he's got to pay back a million zillion dollars. I mean, even if interest-free, he'd be still working 2,000 years ago later today. Like, there's no way he's going to pay this back. A little more time. What do you, what do you think you're dealing with here? And the master looks at him and thinks for a minute. And he says, I tell you what, why don't we just cancel this? And he canceled the debt. He goes, don't even worry about it. Just walk on out of here. You're free. I'll put in the orders. Your debt is forgiven. It's canceled. Go ahead leave. And so the guy walks out of there. He's like, I've just been canceled a million zillion debt. I can't, I can't even believe this. And he walks out and he sees a guy over there. He he had dinner with him previously and uh, the guy forgot his wallet. And so, you know, he paid and his buddy there is like, I'll just Venmo you the money later. It's 50 bucks. It's not a big deal. He sees the guy. He's like, you never paid me the 50 bucks. And he goes up to the guy and he starts threatening him. And he says, you know what? It's my legal right because debtor's prison was a thing then. I'm going to have you thrown into jail. Go ahead, arrest this man. He's never paid me back my 50 bucks. And he has the guy thrown into jail. The master hears about this thing. And the master goes, hey, listen, c- come on back here. I heard that you just had somebody thrown in jail over 50 bucks. You know, I forgave you a million zillion, don't you? That guy's like, well, it's my right to do whatever. He's like, no, no, no. You know what? I never actually put in the orders yet. I'm going to bring that back. I'm not canceling your debt. You owe me in full. You're in jail until it comes. And Jesus now, he breaks out of the character. He turns towards Peter and and to all of us. And he says, this is how it is. Your heavenly father will forgive you just as you forgive others. Those are scary words. Just as. And so Peter is like looking at this thing like, listen, I mean, mean, this guy hurt me. He brought me pain. He failed me. And now you want me to just forgive him? And now you want me to forgive him? Otherwise, what, Jesus? You're saying that God is going to come after me? And Jesus apparently is like, yes. Otherwise, God is going to come after you. And he's after you and causing you pain. And now God is after you, threatening to throw you in prison forever and ever. I mean, Jesus, like, what? Why is that the case? Why do you, why would you do that to me? 
Here's the thing. I think that God isn't doing that to you. As difficult as it is, I think God is doing that for you. Because God cares about you so much. Remember, it's in his nature that he knows that if you, if you hang on to that hurt, if you hang on to that, the way that somebody failed you, it's like hanging on to that poison and, and you're obsessing over it and you drink it and it's hurting you, but you don't care. You'll just like mull over again and again the thoughts that you have in, in your mind and you'll replay these conversations in your head and you'll just hold on to the bitterness, hold on to the pain. And God is like, listen, I want you to be freed from that. By any means necessary, even if I have to come after you myself, that's how badly I want you to be freed from it. You see, church, it's, it's so true that we think that forgiveness is about helping out somebody who failed us. We think about forgiveness as helping out somebody who hurt us. And God says, no, no, no. It's not about helping somebody else out. It's about helping out yourself. Because you get to be freed from the hurt, freed from the pain, freed from however it is that they failed you. God looks at the hurt and the pain. He goes, no, no, I know. I get it. From the beginning of time, 1,177 words. It's just a starting history in the story that we just read about how the people have failed God, and we could just add on and add on to the list. God goes, listen, can you even believe this? All the resources, everything that we have, it's all God's. It belongs to him. Can you imagine the insult that it is to take my money, God's money, and to use it to disobey and to disrespect God? And you know how I repay that? With death. Death on a cross not to you, for you, so that you don't have to die, so that you can be freed from it. I love what one person they said. They, they said, you know, in the shadow of my pain, forgiveness looks like just helping out my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness just looks like one failed person extending mercy to another. That's what we're doing. We're taking a look at all those hurts and pains, those feelings, and looking at them in the shadow of the cross. There's incredible power that comes, that comes through that. The power that comes from that opening the fist, unclenching our fist, is the power to turn our bad, your bad memories into powerful memorials of what Christ has done for you. A couple of years ago, there was this movie that came out called I Can Only Imagine. It's the story, the true story, of the lead singer of Mercy Me, Bart Millard. And he wrote this story um, just to share the events of his life. We've got a picture of him here. Uh, this is who he is. But, but what we don't know, what's behind the smile, is it was an incredible, incredible, painful childhood that he experienced. You see, his dad was abusive in every sense of the word. He was violent, he was physically abusive, emotionally abusive. His wife filed for divorce, Bart's mom. When Bart was old enough, he, he ran away and just wanted to put as much geographic distance as he could between he and his dad. 
But as he got message that his dad was now a changed man and events brought him back home, he had to face his dad now. His dad who was professing Christ. His dad who was apologetic. His dad who was showing up. And you know, nobody in the world would blame Bart for saying to his dad, no, I'm going to hold on to my bitterness. I'm going to hold on to my pain. I'm going to hold on to every single way that you hurt me and robbed me of my childhood. Nobody would blame him for that. But he looked at his dad and he looked at also what Christ has done in his own life. And he said, when I see the difference between where I was and where I'm going, where he was and where he's going, I can see Jesus. I love that so much. And it entirely reframes his past. So now he thinks about those awful memories. And they're not just bad memories. They're bold memorials of what Christ has done in Bart's life. And writing out that song, I can only imagine. When we brought it up initially at, at the beginning of this time together. And he said, what if you go and meet your maker? What if you go before God? Are you going to stand or fall to your knees? Are you going to stay silent? He says, or are you going to sing it out? Are you going to stay still? Or are you going to dance before God? I can only imagine what God is doing in and through your life this week. So whatever hurt that you're holding on to, whatever way that somebody has failed you, I'd like to give you this three-step process. And we're going to use that just in our closing time together in prayer to just find a way to release that before God and find the freedom that God has for us in his nature as a forgiving God. Would you pray with me now? And as you pray, wherever you are spread across North America or the world, just clench a fist. And the clenched fist with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, that clenched fist represents the pain that you're holding on to. However it is that someone has failed you and you don't want to let it go. And you want to hold on to that bitterness. And nobody blames you for it. And the first thing that we're going to do is we're simply just going to identify the failure. Identify what it is that they took from you. And and we're going to pray to God and we're going to say, God, they took from me a childhood, relationship, a job. They took that from me, God. Now what we're going to do is we're going to cancel it. What they owe me because they took it from me is a debt to be paid. And so I'm going to pray, God, would you just help me cancel that debt to not hold them accountable for it anymore because they're never going to be able to pay me back, God, and I know that. Just like, God, I'm never going to be able to pay you back, and I know that. And so it's worthless to hang on to it, and it's only going to rob my joy and bring me bitterness. God, help me to cancel the debt that they owe me for hurting me and failing me today. Now, God, lastly, after identifying and canceling, I'm going to ask that you help me to refuse to hold it in my brain, in my thoughts, or in my heart anymore. When you pray, identify it, you cancel the debt, and you refuse to hold it anymore, church, I just invite you to open your hand and to release that. As we pray, may your bad memory become a bold memorial of what Christ has done in your life.
Amen.